Warning, the Thin Blue Line podcast, Harry Bosch, contains adult content. Harry and others use profanity, adult language, and discuss adult topics, and so shall we. One more warning, this podcast may contain spoilers. I must stress this for this chapter and the entire podcast, so please proceed with extreme caution. He's my partner on this, Ramos. He knows what I know. We're together on this. If he's out, then I'm out. And when we leave, I go across the border to L.A. I don't know where he goes. How will that hold with your theory? Who could be trusted? In the light in the hangar, Bosch could see the pulse beating in the arteries of Ramos' neck. See, Bosch said, if you let him leave, then you're trusting him. So if you trust him, he might as well stay. Fuck you, Bosch. Hello, and welcome to the Thin Blue Line podcast, Harry Bosch. I'm Philip Parker, a retired police detective with over 29 years of law enforcement experience. Please subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And please don't forget to rate us five stars or better. Please follow us on Twitter at the Thin Blue Line Pod and our Instagram and Facebook pages, which are set up just for our fans. Also, join us at www.thethinbluelinepod.com for more investigative content where you will find a more detailed experience concerning Harry Bosch and Michael Conley. Now all that bullshit's out the way, it's time to get back to work and probe deep into chapters 25 through 28 of The Black Ice. Last time on the Thin Blue Line podcast, Harry Bosch, we explored chapters 21 through 24 of The Black Ice, where both Bosch and Aguilar go to the home of Wando 67 to make notification. The widow identifies Wando 67 as her husband, Fennel Gutierrez Losa. Harry searches Gutierrez Losa's home and finds pay stubs from Enviobreed. Harry and Aguilar go to Enviobreed, but doesn't find any cooperation. Bosch calls and speaks to Lieutenant Pounds and then Deputy Irving, who orders Bosch to return to Los Angeles. Bosch tells Chief Irving that he has more information to follow up on in Mexico. Later at his hotel, Bosch meets with Special Agent Romos of the DEA. Romo expressed to Bosch that the DA is preparing a search warrant for Zerio's ranch and a breed, but lack information concerning illicit narcotics and the transportation from Zerio's ranch to Enviobreed. Bosch is looking out of his window, and then someone takes a shot at him. Bosch then breaks into Enviobreed and finds a tunnel that appears to be connected to the business and the ranch belonging to the drug lord, Zerio. During this episode, we will be taking a deep dive into chapters 25 through 28 of The Black Ice. As always, there's the prerequisite spoiler alert. It is my intention to stay away from spoilers, but sometimes shit happens, so please proceed with extreme caution. And now, the Thin Blue Line podcast, Harry Bosch. Let's open up the murder book and turn a page to the chronological record. 
so that we can do an investigative summary of the information gathered so far in this chapter. Bosch meets Special Agent Ramos and tells him how someone tried to kill him. Bosch also tells Ramos that he broke into Envirobreed and proceeds to give Ramos intelligence needed to acquire a search warrant. Bosch reviews mugshot photos of members of Zureo's organization. Harry sees a picture of Zureo and realizes that he is the same child he saw in some of Moore's photos. Bosch identifies a photo of a man with three teardrops who is known to be Zureo's main enforcer. Osvaldo Arpiz Rafaelo. Arkeps and Zureo both hail from the same burial, Saints and Sinners. Romos further explains that in the barrio, after someone is killed, the organization will leave a note that stated, he found out who he was. Harry returns to Calexico to see if he can find the castle in which Moore talked to his wife about. Harry finds it through the historical society and takes a drive out to see how it looks. A neighbor of the castle turns out to be the ex-owner's sister-in-law. This woman tells Harry that the owner died a year before and the house was sold, but no one ever moved in. The woman also tells Harry how the owner, Cecil Moore, had a son with a Hispanic maid, but he threw the woman and her son out after he learned that the woman had a husband and a child in Mexico. The woman continued to say that Calexico Moore had often returned to the house and just sat and stared at it from the street for hours at a time. Bosch meets Aguilar at the bullfighting arena and hopes to see Zurio, but instead, Bosch is met by Captain Grinia. Grinia implies that Bosch should leave Mexico since Wando 67 has been identified. Bosch receives a page from Ramos concerning the search warrants of Zurio's ranch and Enviobreed. Roma and Kovo are angered at Bosch for bringing Aguilar to the briefing location. After Roma finished this operational briefing, he informs Bosch that the DEA has devised a ruse to get Zurio on the U.S. side of the border. Romos tells Bosch that Zurio will be taken to the hospital on the American side of the border. Once there, Zurio will be subject to arrest in the American justice system. And that gets us to this episode's big idea. So let's lift up the yellow tape and examine the clues for the defining theme for chapters 25 through 28 is get off your ass and knock on some doors. Hello, and welcome back to the Thin Blue Line podcast, Harry Bosch. And we start this chapter off with Harry calling Special Agent Ramos and arranging to meet to uh, review mugshot photos. And Harry also plans on telling Ramos about uh, the night before uh, him, uh, someone trying to, to, someone trying to kill him. And Aguilar reports back to Bosch that when he went over to the hotel and specifically asked the clerk about room 405, the clerk only 
could remember that the person who rented the room had a teardrop under or three teardrops under the eye. And here we go. We see some pieces are starting to fall into place when it comes to this investigation. So since someone tried to kill him, uh, Aguilar was so kind to let Bosch spend a night at his place. And during the night, Bosch had visions and or thoughts about Porter and more specifically how Porter was now being on will be on the autopsy table. And Teresa Colazone was, you know, performing this autopsy on him and Bosch as fatigue sat in and the adrenaline rush um, wear off, uh, wore off from, from Bosch breaking into EnviroBreed. Thoughts of Porter switched to him being on the, on the uh, his, uh, autopsy table. And, you know, this is a, just a little nuanced way that Michael brings you, the listener, or excuse me, you, the reader, into law enforcement world. Because cops, we see so many bad things. And one of the terrifying things that when we there, when we're there on the scene, like, let me just give you a prime example. Say as it was a, a vehicular um, a death where a car ran off the road or hit a pole and you respond and someone inside uh, is dead. Cops at times envision loved ones uh, inside that car and it's kind of morbid. I know it happened to me. I'm pretty sure a lot of cops, you know, they admit that they did that. And this is kind of what it happened to them. And this is kind of what Harry is alluding to, excuse me, Mike was alluding to here um, in a sense that, Bad things happen and cops don't ever want, you know, those bad things. Of course, no one wants those bad things to happen to their family and we're not special. But the point is that we're actually there. We're actually experiencing these horrific things that happen um, and we're called to address them. So at times we do kind of transpose ourselves or loved ones in that particular traffic tragic situation. And then you come with this resolve, just like Harry did. That's not going to be me or I'm going to try to safeguard my family. So they, that won't be them. And you know, Bosch also, well, again, Michael also lets you, the reader get into Bosch head fighting, becoming institutionalized. Now be patient with me here because this is kind of going to be kind of drawn out. Let's look at it. Harry, after his mother died, he grew up in a foster home and then he decided to go to the military. And then as the military, he's going to a police department, which is kind of like paramilitary. And all those th- things, you would think it would be easy for an individual just to go along, to get along. But Bosch had this innate desire not to do that. And he, he even says it here, you know, I grew up in an institution, but I didn't want to become institutionalized this you know you're starting to get who harry is and why he does what he does it takes a strong-willed person to not to get along to go along and you know one of the things that is missing nowadays is the application of the law when it comes to law enforcement so you don't you really don't want i'm as as a private citizen now i don't want an officer to just be about the book, you know, I, you know, the speed limit says 55 and you were doing 56. So I have to give you a ticket, sir. Like, okay. Um, most cops, you pull someone over 
you don't really want to um there there's proper ways to, you want to listen to the story and again of course people are going to lie to you but you want to have the ability to make a decision on the on the scene now a quick hopefully i'm doing a I feel as though I'm doing a bad job of making this point. So I think maybe let me just give you a scenario. When I first became out of the Academy, my training officer was a ball buster and he was by the book. And back then, you know, we, we, you know, when you did reports, uh, we had black pens and you couldn't use anything, but you know, no erasers, if you if you messed up on a report, you had to start all over and do it all over again. And this guy was by the book. But by the time I finished my um, my training period and then I started doing things solo, I was still he was still riding with me. But by this time I was running in the scout car, I was driving, answering radio runs, doing reports by myself. But then he taught me how to do the things what we call the streetway. And I, I said, what, what the hell, dude? What the fuck? What the fuck? All this time you've been busting my balls and make sure I did the did in the box, do the institutional way. And he said, Well, I taught you that, Phil. So now you're gonna learn how to do it the street way. And if someone ever challenging you, challenge you, you understand the difference between the two. And kind of that's what, what Bosch is talking about, not becoming institutionalized. Because the application of the law is a breathing thing. It's 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 this. I wouldn't let's call it a beast, but that's that comes to my head. So I'm gonna say beast. The the law is this juggernaut and it is breathes, it moves, it's it's pliable. And every situation you have to use your experience and 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 training to make a, 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 a make a make a judgment call. And what's lacking nowadays, and I know I'm on my my soapbox, so please be patient with me, people. What's lacking nowadays is that lack of discretion that officers that I was empowered with. And I and I see it happening now because most cops are now are becoming institutionalized. They are free to make judgment calls. Sometimes you just you want a cop to make a judgment call and trust the fact that they earn that right to be to make that judgment call. Now again, I'm not saying don't hold us responsible. People hear me say that and they say, oh, you don't want cops to be held responsible. No. Hold us responsible, but also let me make my judgment call. And again, thanks for your patience with that. But I thought that was really important to point out. Bosch is trying to say all his life he fought to be, even though he is from the institution, not to be institutionalized. And again, I interpret it that way. And then we, you know, we have Bosch asking Aguilar to get uh, tickets to the bullfight so he could get a, a look at Aguilar. And Aguilar didn't get it because he said, well, you know, uh, the Pope um, Zario is going to um, have a lot of guards around him. And Bosch said, no, 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 no. That's not why I want to uh, see uh, the Pope, to, to see Zario. What Bosch is saying here, he wants to get a measurement of the man. Again, for the last three days in the book time, Zario, a.k.a. the Pope, had been in Bosch's head. He's been occupying space in Bosch's head. It's kind of hard to investigate somebody without getting a measure of that person. And this is what, again, in this particular chapter, at this particular point, it's my experience that what Bosch is saying is he got to go see the man. He got to put eyes on him. How does he conduct himself? Because if you don't do that, 
then you're losing a great investigative edge because then you can see get the measurement. Does he have? Does he have? You know, uh, does he have to showboat in front of his friends? Is he one of those quiet types in the background but watching everybody? There's so many little nuances that you have to get the measure of the man or or the woman because believe me, I locked up plenty of women who were bosses. So um, I'm just saying, you know, generically men or women, but you got to get the measure of the person and. This is what Bosch is talking about right here. He wanted to put eyes on Zario. And you know, one of, the, uh, one of the good things that I like, and again, this just dates me and dates this book. But, you know, Bosch, once he gets into the DA office, uh, Ramos, Special Agent Ramos, opens up a Cincinnati safe. And for, again, for my younger people who never saw a Cincinnati safe or in my office, we had a, a Mosler safe. And I hope I'm pronouncing it right. But are these big ass, ancient, heavy duty safes where you kept all the back then we kept all the the, the uh, informant payment fund and the covert operation fund. We kept all those things in the safe that only certain officials had access to. But it was this big old dials, you, you know, you turn and you had to, you know, turn it left. 10 times, turn right 20 times, turn left. You know, it was just crazy combination that you had to do to get into this safe. And I read that and I just, it keeps bringing a smile on my face. And so when we get, Harry gets settled at uh, Ramos office. He then first tells Ramos about the shooting and you know, the fact of the matter of how that's why Harry checked out. And then Harry says, well, you know, I'm pretty much, i let you know, I, I went into a viral breed and, you know, I, I got some information for you. And Ramos puts on this big old act, what? I never told you to go to a viral breed and yada, 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 and whole, whole nine yards. And Bob said, look, dude, stop bullshitting me. It's just you and me here. You know, no one knows what's going on, but I did what you want. I got the information. So write me up as a CI, write me up as a, a, a confidential informant. And, you know, now you can get the information for your search warrant. And again, okay, so from the book, you know, to, to drive this point home, again, from the book, do you want to know what I found out there or should we just drop it? And that quieted DA agent for a moment. And then Bosch says, uh, do you have your ninjas or what, what did you call them, your clits in town yet? <laughs> and, you know, Ramos uh, 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 says, clets, clets. Yeah, 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 yeah. Those guys, uh, well, you know, uh, you, you need to get them ready because it, it, there's a tunnel there. And again, from the book, Bosch says, uh, there, was a, there was a camera. I didn't see it until it was too late. I got out of there, but some people came in looking. I wasn't identifiable. Uh, I wore a mask, but still, they knew someone was inside. And then uh, Ramos goes, okay, Bosch, you ain't leaving me my, any options here. What did you see? And then again in the book it says there it was. Ramos was acknowledging the illegal search, and he was sanctioning it. And Bosch felt comforted because he knew it wouldn't come back on him. And then he told uh, Ramos again. I'm paraphrasing from the book, but he told Ramos everything about the you know the hidden trap and in the bug trade. I, I'm going to get more into this during the break reference to this illegal search. So we're just going to keep on going. So during Ramos writing up the search warrant and adding information that Bosch provided him about the tunnel, Ramos also gives Bosch the, the, the uh, mugshot book. And on top of the mugshot book uh, is a picture of Zario. And again, from the book, Bosch says, what do you know about him? 
do you know anything about his family? And uh, Ramos replies, uh, not that we know of, not that we look really hard. We don't give a shit about where he came from, just where he's doing now and where he's going. That, to me, is, is wrong. Not wrong, but Ramos is tying his hands. He's not using all the investigative tools at his disposal. As a good criminal investigator, investigate the bad guy's family in the sense of get behind why are they doing it? You know, is it that they're doing it for greed? Is they doing it to, um, that's what they grew up with, grew up with, you know, close associates in the whole nine yards. And I made it my practice and, and me and my partner, we, you know, Jack and I, we made it our practice to investigate the, not investigate, but at least get to know our target of investigation, a full picture of the person, you know, siblings, mother, father, you know, the, the upbringing. Again, no one's saying go back to their elementary school. What I'm saying is get a full measure of the target of investigation. And by the fact that Ramos didn't do it here, I think he did a disservice to his overall investigation. And uh, just to go back a little bit, you know, the mugshot book has changed over the years. And I look at it. So listen, what I mean by that is think about some of you guys like reading Harry Bosch books and touching it, having it in your hand, feeling it and turning the pages. And some of you have no problem reading it from your Kindle or your iPad or your phone. And the old books, old mugshot books are kind of, you know, I kind of have this infinity about having them touching it. You know, I used to have this big old binder with all the big particular people of an organization and or uh, a particular geographical area in the book for identificational purposes. And that kind of reminded me, you know, because nowadays everything, like I said, is done on your tablet or your smartphone. And it's kind of loses. Again, I'm so I'm not going to knock that way doing it, but I do miss and I always still use the old book. So I guess you can kind of call me an old fart. So after, well, as Bosch is going through the mugshot book, he comes across uh, the guy with the three teardrops, which Ramos tells Harry that that is Zurillo's main enforcer. The guy who does all the hits for Zurillo. This guy was so good and so efficient that back in their Saints and Sinners barrio that they came up with this, I found out who I was because either you're a saint or you're a sinner. And they started, when they started dropping bodies, they would leave notes around this guy's body. And Bosch kind of stops to write. He stops writing. And then he starts thinking, okay, so all, look at, let's take a, a moment to look at all these pieces that are just starting to drop. Now we have Zario, Cal Moore, our piece. All of them come from the same, oh, just just called it got three teardrops because I'm, I'm totally butchering his name. We have all these guys from the same barrio and Bosch is just sitting there like, oh shit, this is getting tight now. But did you notice, and let's just put a little asterisk beside this. Did you notice that Bosch didn't tell Special Agent Ramos about the connection between the Saints and Sinners and Kyle Moore? He hasn't told him that yet. And I thought that was quite interesting. So we will, we'll come back to that. And then we see after Bosch leaves the DA office, we see Bosch list, uh, living up to old tried and true investigative technique. Get off your ass and knock on some doors. 
And, you know, no investigation is solved from your desk. And you, you can see the guys who are, again, my generation, we feel really comfortable by knocking on doors, talking to people, and getting to know people. And so I'll give you an example of getting off your ass and knocking on some doors. Again, I know I'm, a, I'm an old guy, but, you know, I've noticed some new guys are hesitant to go knock on people's door and, and get past just the, hi, I'm a detective, blah, blah, blah. I'm investigating the crime. Hey, did you see anything? Opposed to, hey, how you doing? My name is Detective Parker. And um, there was an accident or investigation around the block that, can I come talk to you about this? You know, you know, get this, just bring it down a little bit and talk to a person. Again, Teresa said it earlier in this book, you know, a good, Bosch said a good investigator is an investigator who listens, who get people to talk to him about something. And, but I understand that there's this big, chasm that's developing between law enforcement and this public that we serve and we have to somehow break this 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 distrust and hopefully you listeners are you know listening to this podcast you can hear a law enforcement officer's side of things so i'm going to give you an example of what i mean by this and again i digress a little bit so just be patient with me back in the 90s when i first became an investigator I had a geographical area in which I was responsible for narcotic work. And it was small time stuff. You know, it was just street level investigations. And I stumbled upon this little old lady who knew everything in the neighborhood. She was the queen of that block. She knew everything. But, and she wanted to tell the police information. So I stumbled upon her and I made the stupid rookie mistake and I was going to knock on her front door. Now, even though I was in plain clothes, people know that I'm not from the area and doesn't, again, no one's stupid. It, it didn't take a rocket scientist to say, a rocket science, scientist to say that might be a cop. So she said, hey, don't come to my front door, come to the back door. And I was like, okay. And so what I did was I parked my car um, maybe a block away, walked up and cut through the alley, knocked on the back door. I'm going to just say her name is Miss Johnson just for the sake of, Ms., you know, put a name to it. Miss Johnson knew everything and everybody in that block and gave me so many investigative leads to follow up. She was, Oh, that's Johnny right there. He drives a red car. He comes around at two o'clock in the afternoon. And then that guy right there who drives that orange car, he always showing a gun. And you know, it was, it was incredible. It was great information. Fast forward to 2019. Here you got a police officer going into the back house of a, of a citizen. How do you think, how would, how would it be framed? How would it be looked at suspiciously now in 2019? You want a cop to do what I just explained, that example. You want investigators to do that. And, but the mere fact is we have to, don't hold the good cops to the same standard as the bad cops. And what I mean by that is every profession has some bad apples, but everyone is, isn't bad. And what then, and we are neutering these guys and we put up this wall and we need to break down these walls because only thing that hurts is the citizens who we supposed to be protecting and serving. And again, now what I mean by that, again, if something, a, a, a bad cop does bad things, let's hold them accountable. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is let these guys do their job 
And that's all I'm going to say because I digress. So that I went to that whole diatribe about getting off your ass and knock on doors. We see Bosch responding to the Calexico Historical Society to follow up on some information that Sylvia said about, you know, Calexico and this castle and where he come from. Because he even said it in the book that he feels as though Calexico, the city or the town of Calexico, has a, this, this thing running through this, this thread, as he called it, running through his overall investigation. So he goes to the uh, Historical Society. He finds out about Cecil Moore and the uh, caretaker tells him about the, you know, the castle. And uh, so then he responds to the castle. And once again, but what, what did Bosch do? He then, he didn't stop right there. He then went and knocked on the door. He went and knocked on the neighbor's door. And again, I didn't set that up. And you see, he didn't just stop and ring the doorbell, up no one's home, and turn around and, and walk away. He knocked, he said, well, let me go to the neighbor's. And going to the neighbor's house, uh, he finds Cecil Moore's ex-sister-in-law. Uh, I think I got that right. And she, you know, goes and gives Bosch a, a, a whole lot of information about Cecil Moore and Cal Moore. And she goes through the whole Cal Moore's history about that uh, Cecil had a maid pregnant and she, he, he wanted her to stay in the house with him at this quote-unquote big castle. And everything went well for a couple of years until Cecil found out that Cal's mother actually had a husband and another son in um, Mexico. And then he kicked, uh, kicked both of them out. And then so this, this, um, this older lady also says, well, and she's always seen uh, Cal. He would just come there and say, Aunt Mary, I just come out here so I can remember. I like to remember. We see the pain that Cal was been harboring for such a long time. I mean, he, for the fact that he would just go to his old home and sit there and look at his house for hours on end until his adulthood. And then she actually said, I mean, let's talk about rejection. I mean, goodness gracious, you know, talk about backstories on people. Let's talk about rejection. She even said that Cecil got so tired of Kyle showing up that he, he built a fucking wall so that he wouldn't have to see a cow showing up and uh, just staring out the window. Look, staring into the window. How, I mean, you talk about a cold hearted motherfucker. I mean, goodness gracious. And you know, one of the other things she said that I picked up on was, you know, this is the second time again, the, the caretaker said, you know, that the house was uh, bought by a guy down from LA. And you know, she also said that, uh, uh, Aunt Mary, you know, said that, hey, you know, she heard that some some guy or some person bought it maybe for an investment for million million dollars, and again, million dollars back in two thousand excuse me nineteen ninety three is a lot different than a million dollars here in two thousand nineteen. And again, this is a time where the hairs on my back and my neck just started going up. I mean, these last three chapters, things are going fast. I want to believe I'm not sure what where I picked this up. So I want to make sure I give the right attributes, but you know, like an investigation is like an hourglass and in, in sand in an hourglass and the sand, when you first start your investigation, 
it just it seems to go slow. But towards the end of your investigation, the sand is just starting to run out. The information you're just starting to get in volumes. We just started getting little drips and drips and drips at the beginning of this investigation. And that's another reason why I like Michael's books. Because it's not just that he is a climax at the end and everything is falling into place. It is kind of like how an investigation is before you put the handcuffs on somebody. Is first you start off with this this basis this base of information a crime happened, and then you get these little pieces of information, and again go back to what I was saying about the chron the chronological um, your chronological uh, report. You know, you start writing things down, and then all of a sudden, just like a, the sand in hourglass, at the, towards the end of your investigation. Information is just flooding in and reason just flooding in because you can put more context and more connections together that you develop at the beginning of your uh, investigation. Now things are making so much more sense at the end of your investigation. I mean, you got me case in point that whole doggone note in Cal Moore's back pocket. I found out who I was. Now you have so much context about that. I found out who I was. It brings in the Saints of Sinners Barrio. It brings in the Zorio, RPs, Cal Moore, the, the, whole, the whole emblematic uh, narcotic trade, everything. Just that one note. So I'd like to take a break here and go to the question of the day. And the question of the day comes from chapter 25 of the Black Ice, where it says, to acquire a search warrant for a value breed, Special Agent Ramos utilizes information that Harry provided as a quote-unquote informant. Do you have a problem with this? <laughs> you know, I, I love doing stuff like this because you guys are phenomenal when it comes to blowing my expectations because going into writing that question i thought i was going to get a split of 50 50 maybe 40 60 in the yeah that was an illegal search ramos shouldn't use that information but you know what uh, you listeners are some bad motherfuckers because 90 percent of you says nah do what you have to do <laughs> Oh boy, <laughs> so <laughs> I love it. I love it because you, this fuels me, and I, I I'm gonna dig a little deeper in that. What I mean by that, it fuels me because I think you guys are trusting that cops like me. You understand that what I was saying before, and I, I, I'm stealing from this. Uh, this um, actually it was an ICE agent who told me this. You know, law enforcement investigations are like sausage. Everyone loves how it tastes, but no one wants to see how it's made. And so I'm stealing it from him, and so I'm going to claim it. And that's that's something here. That That's what I'm talking about here. And it was quite evident, you know, back in Chapter 15, when I talked about uh, Kerwin and, and the manner in which uh, uh, Ricker was trying to flip Kerwin. And again, you guys said 90%, you know, uh, that you guys had no problem with Ricker and the tactics he used to try to flip Kerwin. You know, so fast forward to this 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 uh, this chapter, chapter 25 is where, you know, you guys say, you know what? 
uh, do what you got to do to get the job done. But just, okay, so, so that's one side of the spectrum. But on a serious note, let me give you some context. The evolution of informant information and some of the things, I'm going to get too deep into it. But, you know, a lot of cops do recognize that this is a big trust issue. Because I do know back in the day, one of the things that cops used to do was if there was a bad guy on a corner selling drugs, again, I'm going to use that. They would pick up the payphone because back then, you know, payphones weren't um, tracked. And they would call and say, hey, there's a guy wearing a a red baseball cap and blue jeans and white shirt selling um, some drugs. And and the police would call the, 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 the station. And then the station would then call the dispatch and say, could you dispatch a, a, a unit over to investigate the drug complaint? And then a narcotic guy would come over across the air and go, um, what's that complaint you got? And says, uh, well, there's a, you know, we got an anonymous tip of reference to a guy selling drugs on the corner. And now you just start, you just established your, your probable cause. Well, not probable cause, your reasonable suspicion to stop this individual for selling drugs because a quote unquote anonymous tip <laughs> the courts, the courts, kind of caught on that cops were doing stuff like that <laughs> and they, they say yeah you gonna have to give it a little bit more context and so then you know there were a, a couple of different supreme court just uh supreme court decisions that kind of you know reined in that type of anonymous tips and informant behavior or informant use uh inf- use of informant information again i'm not going to you know get down to the nitty-gritty where you know u.s versus gates and you know and all that kind of stuff but just let's just let you know that there is some um, case law that's, that that kind of reined in cops in uh, how we use informants. It, it, made, it made things diff, more difficult, but you know what? Good cop work. Just give me the rules, and I'll work with in, in the rules, and I'll make it happen. So I pound my chest. You know, that's the sound of me pounding my chest to my 90-something of people saying, Nah, you just do what you got to do to get this fucker. That's again, that's how I'm taking it. And I want to thank you guys for your patience, staying with me. You know, I'm a newbie at this, uh, this podcast thing, and I'm trying to make it entertaining but informative at the same time. And but the podcast is just growing. I'm getting more subscribers, and more people are coming to the website. And it's only because of you guys. So, could you continue promoting the podcast for me? Continue telling your friends and family you know go to the website and um go to the podcast and subscribe and keep continue to give us five stars or better because it again it's exciting for me and i i love it and so again thank you very much and i feel like i'm rambling so let's go back to the streets so after bosch leaves the historical excuse me the uh the the castle in which um Cowboy uh, grew up. We he he meets Aguilar, and they go to the bullfight. And again, uh, he wants to get a measure of Zario. He wants to see who his adversary is. Get a measure of the man. You know, one of the things I like about Michael and his writing is it would be easy for us to see uh, Harry is never making a mistake. And what I like about how Michael, despite Harry's mistakes, despite Harry making mistakes, he still is a great cop. 
because that's what we are. No one is perfect. And we see how Bosch over time after time, while he's, while he's interacting with Aguilar, he makes several, he insults, um, again, he, he didn't do it intentionally, but he insults um, Aguilar a couple of times, you know, uh, first with, you know, throwing down so much money for the, for the, the seats that he have right now. And the fact that he talks about how small this is, how small the seats are. And again, Aguilar's world, these are the best seats in the world. And Harry describes it as a pillbox or <laughs> it's kind of fucked up. He said it's kind of like a jail cell, you know, but again, that's what makes Michael a great writer because he is able to, despite Harry's uh, flaws, he's able to make, a, make Harry a real character. Because like humans, like all of us, we make mistakes. And, you know, Bosch first talks about the bullfight and he's really not sure if this was a sport. But then towards the end of the uh, bullfight, you know, he can see the, the grace and the skill that the matador is displaying and how the matador is cheating death. And I think that becomes symptomatic between for this book, actually, or Bosch's life, you know, he's always coming close to the edge, you know, life or death. He's coming. He always comes close. But as a good matador, I, at least again, I'm taking it this way. You know, Bosch is able to come away from it unscathed or not injured as much. And so then we see Bosch interacting with uh, Captain Grinya. And now Grinya is not hiding the fact that he's bought and paid for. And what I mean by that is he shows up and for, you know, inquires, uh, he inquires Bosch or inquires of Bosch. What are you still doing here? You know, Wando 67 has been identified. Why are you bothering uh, Aguilar? And he, Bosch said, well, look, I'm, I'm here to join a bullfight. He said, well, when do you plan on leaving? And Bosch said tomorrow. And then Green said, no, nah, maybe tonight to infer, bruh, you know, if you don't leave tonight, I can't guarantee your your safety and you know again just showing that he was bought and paid for he's 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 sporting a rolex watch and then after he finished talk after he talks to bosch and give that kind of that veiled threat uh bosch observes him in zareel's box i mean so you know grainian now is not even uh hiding the fact that he is bought and paid for and the mere fact again here's a here's a brick and that trust brick, the mere fact that he doesn't know what's going on is a testament to Aguilar. Because if Aguilar was bought and paid for, Grinia, he would have ran right to Grinia and told Grinia everything that Bosch has been doing. But he didn't do that. So again, that's just another trust brick that Aguilar has earned. And again, towards the end of the bullfight, Bosch receives a, um, a page from Ramos. So I love the, the next interaction I love. Again, so uh, from the book, as soon as he stepped out of the Caprice, you know, my Caprice, I love my Caprice. He was approached by four DEA types and plastic uh, windbreakers. He showed his ID and eventually passed muster after one of them consulted the clipboard. And then these guys turned to Aguilar and he said, uh, who are you? And, and Bob steps in and said, he's with me. <laughs> but I said, you know, the, the guy said, uh, we have you down as a solo entry, Detective Bosch. 
Now we have a problem. If Bosh comes back over top is, well, I guess I forgot the RSVP. I was bringing a date. <laughs> Again, these quips are just, just slay me when it comes to Michael and his writing. Is in, in, This is why I like Harry. And, 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 and so why I like Michael, because being a smart ass, ass uh, I think next time I have Jackie on, I'm pretty sure she could, cause I don't feel, I don't want like, I'm talking about myself, you know, you know, I, 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 this big headed detective, you know, with his podcast, but I've been after 29 years, uh, I've been accused of having a little smart ass mouth. And <laughs> as, as Jackie said, one of the podcasts back in the black echo and to the detriment of my partners. Again, from the book, uh, Harry says, better get Ramos. If my partner goes, I go. Then where's the integrity of your operational security? Think about it, Bosch continues. Anyone who's come this far has to go the distance. Otherwise, you got someone outside the circle. Out there, unaccounted for. Go as Ramos. This is what he means by this. And again, Things have changed so much. So I'm just giving you, again, it's not nostalgia. It's just, I want to give you guys context. And again, so some things we did very well back in the nineties and, and some things I think we can go back to do, but some, some things we do pretty good in 2019, there has been an evolution, but back in the nineties, if you were invited to an operation, it was radio silent. Um, again, no one has cell phones back then, but you didn't get on. You didn't get on the phone. You didn't talk to anybody. You didn't. You didn't make any phone calls. It was if you were inside the, the inside the circle. Once we were doing operational briefings, it was radio silence. Because once I left, you were not getting in contact with me until it was over with. And again, because we didn't know, and you wanted to, you wanted because officer safety, you didn't want any any of the bad guys to reportedly uh, know what, what you were doing or wait for you or destroy evidence. So it was operational safety. And so that's what Bosch is talking about here when it comes to the integrity of the operation. And again, so Kovo and Ramos are just livid, at Bo- livid with Bosch by this point. And again, from the book, Bosch, if he fucks up or this operation or any way becomes compromised, I'll make it known. You know what I mean? It'll be known in L.A that you brought this guy in. So that is important. So I want to, let me slow down and break down what that was, was that implying. What that implies is that Kovo will go back to LA and tell Bosch's peers that he trusted, he is in Bosch trusted an outsider over us because a lot, a lot of people don't like it. But at this time there is this, us versus them, the cops versus the bad guys. Um, well, you know, which side are you on? Are you saint or sinner? Well, no, that's not that. I just, I just threw that in as a little jab. But no. So what Kovo is telling Bosch is that if this, if this operation becomes compromised, I'm going to go and blast your shit all over L.A. And no one inside L.A., PD, or outside L.A. will work with you. And it's actually true. I mean, it, again, remember I told you before, what's the first thing that comes through your door? It comes through the door is your reputation. And if Bosch now, now Bosch is, everyone can tolerate a smart ass. And 
everyone can tolerate a smart ass, a very, because most smart ass people are very competent, but no one can, you know, you have to have trust. And if, if you lose trust and trust, trustability, no one is going to, no one is going to want to work with you. And so, and again, if you can't get people to work with you inside the family, again, Bosch is not per se part of the family, but he gets people to work with him because he's trustworthy. You know, look again, I'm just going to go back again. Look at how he gets Donovan, Teresa, all these different people inside the family, inside the bureaucracy to work with him. So if he loses trust, then those type of people will stop trusting Bosch with sensitive information. So that's what uh, Kovo was talking about right here. And, you know, so after they get the nod and Kovo lets Aguilar stay, Bosch walks over to Aguilar and says something to the effect of, uh, well, what do you think? And Aguilar says, militia from Mexico City? Is there no one in Mexicali that, DA, that the DA trusts? And Bosch comes back over the top. He says, well, after tonight, they'll trust you. And that's very important. So Aguilar was willing to put up with the stigma that he had, you know, because he is a Mexicali um, police officer. And that comes along with all the negative connotations. And the fact is that here's this outsider. Bosch has just elevated Aguilar to Bosch's trust status. And when Bosch leaves, like you said, after tonight, the DA would trust Aguilar, which was going to be huge. And so, again, which is true. And again, again, this is just one of those times when Michael just does a great job. And this is why I fell in love with Michael Books, because he's in. And you can you can take that trust because it, it does go both ways. No, because I work like I said before, I've worked with the feds and there's some federal agents that. Us state local guys, we could not, you wouldn't trust them. You wouldn't tell them one thing because, you know, they will take your information and run with it. But there's some federal guys that, you know, you would tell them everything. You open the books and we call open the books to them for them because you trusted them. They knew and valued that trust. They would not lose the trust that you just showed them. And so then we also get into I hope just be patient with me with uh, listeners because it's important for future books. So we're laying the foundation. So, you know what I'm talking about in future books when things happen. And again, Michael does a great job of describing the operational briefing and the, uh, the adrenaline that's starting to kick in and how guys or gals relieve that particular stress. Cause again, back then you didn't get on the phone. You know, you couldn't pick up your PDA and play uh, Minecraft while you're waiting for the briefing. You know, so you're just sitting there talking to 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 um, your coworkers or the people who are about to execute the warrants. I seen guys in because the, the adrenaline was rushing so much, take their rifle, break it down, clean it, put together, oil it, and then break it down again. I'm like, dude, you just broke it. I, I want to make sure. I want to make sure everything's okay. Like, okay. So again, we all deal with adrenaline differently and Michael does a great job of depicting the adrenaline rush that's starting to happen with the personnel involved in this operation. Again, I know, again, I'm, I'm dating myself here, but you know, uh, Ramos is conducting an operational briefing with a pointer stick and 
pinup pictures. Hell, they had to get NASA to do a flyover to uh, talk about the heat vents. I mean, again, it's, it's 1990 technology. It's stuff that we do on Google Maps right now. And uh, not for the heat system, but hell, we got uh, planes. You know, we had to, we didn't have to involve NASA to give us a heat signature on a particular location. But, you know, it's just, but I remember those days. I remember it was biggest thing you have. Yeah, oh, my God, we got to get this big poster-sized picture of the target. And, you know, you have you know, plotters and putting push pins on the map when it comes to, okay, this is the target location and all that kind of stuff. So again, Michael does a great job of operational plans here. And, and again, for me, you know, since we, you know, we're going down this, this trust brick, that's another trust brick that I have for Michael and his writing ability to actually and accurately depict what goes on behind the scenes. Since we're talking about trust, this trust brick, like I said, trust is earned, not given. This portion of the book is really, really important. Again, is another thing that Michael got gets right. And again, from the book, the gathering broke up with some adolescent howls from the younger agents. Bosch moved towards Romo's as he was taking photos off the board. Sounds like we have a plan, man. Yeah, just hope things go down the way we said it. They never go down exactly right. That is so true. Uh, people, listeners, you know, what do they say? People who, who uh, plan to, uh, fail to plan, plan to fail. But I have not been on one operational plan that went exactly how it was laid out. But the plan, this gives you a backbone in which you can always, as things change, you can always these go back to the, the main gist of the operational plan but i've you know so that again you know you 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 write it up you research it hey, i want to do this when we're going to do that and then you know team a is going to move in and team b is going to move in you have to be fluid you have to be fluid when it comes to these operational plans and these operations and but that line that last that last sentence they never go down exactly right it's so true because they never do but you know you have to you anticipate it and then you're able to adjust when things go differently than the operational plan. So that brings up this portion of the podcast, my everyone counts, but no one counts person. And my everyone counts, but no one counts person is drum roll, Harry Bosch. And the reason I pick Harry is the whole theme of this episode was get off your ass and knock on some doors. And he exemplified that because by doing that, and not trying to investigate the case from his desk or, again, Romos 
offered that Harry could have just stayed in his office until the uh, search warrants of Zareo and uh, Envirebri went down. But Harry said, no, I got to keep moving. I'm going to go knock on some doors and do some field investigations. And that is so important in law enforcement. You got to get off your ass and knock on some doors. So my everyone counts or no one counts person for chapters 25 through 28 is Harry Bosch. This concludes this episode of the Thin Blue Line podcast, Harry Bosch, chapters 25 through 28 of The Black Ice. Thanks for your patronage and hanging in it with me. And like I keep saying, please continue to go to Apple, Google, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. And you guys are doing a great job, but please continue to rate us five stars or better. And, you know, I really, really do like the comments. So keep them coming. It keeps me fresh. It keeps me on my toes. Good ones and the, you know, the positive and the negative ones, because I think all comments and insights are important. And again, don't forget to go to the Thin Blue Line uh, pod.com. And you will find a, a host of content concerning Michael Conley, Harry Bosch. And I try to break down these chapters and with some offshoots like this last one i think i found where the quote-unquote castle was off of route um 98 i know i'm a geek and that's the things that i do so check out the podcast for some interesting insights like that concerning um michael conley and harry bosch next time on the them line podcast harry bosch we will be reviewing chapters 29 through 32 i'm 10 7 for the remainder <laughs>